You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi ethnic, multi generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at In Focus Church. We hope this message encourages you and leaves you feeling challenged to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Believe. Such a Christmassy word, isn't it? Or at least it seems like that's the word that we see everywhere around this time. But it's not just a Christmassy word that you see on the mantle or in a movie, it seemed like we were just watching something at the house the other day, and the theme again was, if you would just believe, believe. It, it's, a, it's a Christian word. And what we believe to be true says a lot about us, and it determines everything about our future. When it comes to Christmas and Christianity, they both have stories to tell that are so fantastical that they're difficult to believe. And we all understand this concept of something that somebody tells you or something that you've heard before and you're going like, I just logically can't wrap my mind around it. Hence why we come up with the word unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Like that doesn't make any sense. A lot like, you know, a overweight man who dresses in red and never dies, flies around every December 24th all over the world and gives gifts to kids based on their behavior all throughout the previous year. A little bit hard to believe, but so is the incarnation, that God would come to earth in the form of a baby. What we believe to be true says a lot about us, and it determines everything about our future. Let's talk about those things that aren't hard to believe, or at least they shouldn't be. They're obvious, they're unmistakable, they're undeniable. I'm talking about something that is obviously true. And yet, we all know this to be the case, particularly as we have grown up, or maybe we've parents and now we're grandparents and we can see things that repeat, and you know something to be true, and you tell your kids, and they just have to find out for themselves, and that just keeps happening on and on and on throughout all of human history. No matter what we know or how many times we've said it to be true, something tells you or somebody something tells them that, well, maybe this time it could be different for me. Because there's a human proclivity to want to see things differently for ourselves. Like we want to see it to believe it. And then there is this thought in our minds, well, maybe I'll be the exception and prove just this one time that it's not always true. It could be different for me. As if thousands of years of human history and all of God's word are not enough evidence of the truth in order for us to believe, we somehow have to see for ourselves. As I said a moment ago, believe is a big word in Christianity. Christianity in and of itself is full of truths that we have to mentally, yes, believe, apprehend in our minds, and we say that we do, but if we're honest, there's also room for options. Like, we've got doubt that creeps into the back of our minds, and when I say options, those doubts are Whether or not the validity of God's word is true for us. Like, I believe that to be true for them, but I'm not so sure that would be true for me. I believe God loves them, but I'm not so sure that God loves me. I believe God will forgive them, but I'm not so sure God will forgive me. 
And yet the word is true about what God has done for all of us and still somehow we don't believe it. But here's where Christianity and Christmas intersect yet again as the real Christmas story that we're going to be talking about throughout this series reminds us of many truths over and over and over again, actually upholding truths that we read throughout God's word, but we're still not sure if we really believe it or not. Let me give you some examples. Things that I know God's word teaches, things that we will see in this Christmas narrative that we've heard about, some of you have heard hundreds of times over your lifetime. These are things that the word tells us are true, but we still struggle in our humanness to believe them or not. Here's one of them. God is near the lowly. Humility is the greatest sign of a good leader. Life is not better because I have wealth. Power is not having a position over people. Popularity and money are not the answer to my problems. Being blessed is not indicated by how much I have. An easy life is not a good life. All those things are paraphrased truths of God's word, things that we also see highlighted in the Christmas story, and if we're honest, we still don't fully believe them. Or, at the very least, we'd like to try the opposite to see if we can make it work for us. Like, I know that money and popularity are not the answer to my problems, but I wouldn't mind trying to find out. I believe that to be true, but but I wouldn't mind trying to see for myself if maybe I could be the exception to this and I could make it work, although historically and biblically it has proven to be this way. What we're going to find in our text today is a hymn of praise. It's an overflow of worship in the waiting with two of the more marginalized and overlooked people in the society at the time. Two people that if I were to tell you that the God of the universe was going to come to earth, these main characters in this part of the narrative would never cross your mind as main players in the story of the God of creation coming and announcing himself to the earth. In other words, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. And here's what I mean. God is about to change the course of human history forever. And where does he show up? Occupying himself with two obscure, humble women. And not even women with some prestige or power at that time. Instead, it is an old, barren woman, Elizabeth, and a young, teenage virgin, Mary. Think of the most nondescript, overlooked people in the ancient context, and they're it. These would be people that nobody would think, well, the God of the universe is going to come and announce himself through these people. And yet, regardless, it's exactly what happened. And Mary is so moved by this angelic visitation that God would see her and choose her, that God is the lover of the lowly, that she breaks out in this song that has come to be known as the Magnificat, this song of magnificent praise to a magnificent God. So if you have your Bible with you today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be reading Mary's song of praise. That's what the heading says, Mary's song of praise, at least in this particular translation of the Bible, the Magnificat. Starting in verse 46, we read, 
And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he's exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever then it says she stayed three months with elizabeth in the story this is a powerful hymn of praise that's what it is and as we're in this series that we're continuing today called worship in the waiting we're looking at how worship surrounded this entire christmas story because worship should surround this story as worship should still surround our lives The season that we're celebrating even now is called the Advent season. Advent means arrival. And any good God-fearing person at this time would be waiting for the Messiah to arrive and save his people. Just as any good God-fearing person in this time is waiting for the return and the arrival of the Messiah to come and save the world ultimately. So this is what happens. And the first Christmas existed because worship did it in the way God intended So every Christmas celebration, worship is the goal. We have to remind ourselves to continue to worship God, to continue to pray and seek for what? More worshipers of Christ. Worship exists because there's people who still don't worship Jesus. Worship continues to exist so that we can worship the God of salvation. We can rejoice in God, our Savior, as the scripture says, who is still saving more future worshipers. But back to Mary and Elizabeth. In Luke's account, Mary and Elizabeth are heroes. As you read this gospel, you could tell that he loves the faith of these women. Again, two people that would not necessarily have been heroes in this time. The thing that seems to impress Luke the most about Mary and Elizabeth is the lowliness they have and yet their cheerful humility in light of all the amazing things that God's still doing for them. Which is kind of opposite of us. When God begins to do amazing things in our lives, we kind of want to let everybody know about it and maybe that we had a little bit of part in it. Luke 143, Elizabeth says, and why is, this grateful, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary says in Luke 148, he, God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. But here's what I want you to see. Here's where we see the truth about worship that we sometimes have a hard time believing. The only people whose soul can truly magnify the Lord are those that are popular and have a microphone. (laughs) Sorry, that's not there. The only people whose soul can truly magnify the Lord are people like Mary and Elizabeth, people who acknowledge their humble position and circumstance in comparison to an awesome and holy God. Humble people who are overwhelmed by the condescension, which is what this is, of a magnificent God coming to earth. 
At its most basic level, the gospel is about God stooping down to become one of us to save us from his holy and just judgment. The incarnation offers us the creator God who relates to his creation in all of our earthiness, all of the deepest longings of mankind's spirituality, what is, which is what? For a God who is transcendent enough to have the ability to solve our problems and yet near enough to understand understand us and know us personally and intimately. All of that is satisfied in the gospel and the gospel alone. That's hard to believe, but it's true. And it's hard to believe and why countless other religions have tried to come up with yet maybe another way. Well, that's probably true for you or that could be true for you, but maybe there's another way to God. Maybe there's another way to heaven. Maybe there's another way to an abundant life here. But what the word tells us is true. What we must believe is the gospel alone is true and the only way to God the Father is through Jesus Christ the Son. But back to humility because that surrounds this story. It's when we see how low we really are in comparison to how holy our Father really is that we're able to lift up the name of God higher. When I was a teenager, there was a song by the name of, or sung by a worship leader by the name of Ron Cannoli, and it was Lift Him Up. Lift the name of God higher and higher and higher. And he just keeps, and all the songs are about higher, higher. Lift God higher. And you know what? The only way that you can lift God higher is if we go lower. We like to somehow think that we just kind of ascend together. God, I'll just bring you along with me. We're going to go higher and higher together. Exalt myself while I exalt you. No, we're going to do what John says, John the Baptist, who in this story is still in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, but when he came to prepare the way for the Savior, he said, I must decrease so that you may increase. And it's the same for us today. I must decrease so that God may increase in my life. We come to him clothed in the rags of our sin and shame, and because God is gracious, we leave clothed in the righteousness of our Savior. He is what? He's going to humble those that exalt themselves for the word says that he will exalt those who humble themselves this is the proper posture of worship humility humbly we come before what our magnificent God and listen if anybody had the right to be a little puffed up it's probably Mary I mean I am carrying the son of God well Mary I mean how, how's your pregnancy going well it's a little heavy Carrying the weight of humanity in your womb. She had every right to go, look at me. I got picked. I got the golden ticket. And yet, what did she do? She was just overwhelmed by the fact that God even saw her. And the reason that she's blessed, yes, she's blessed for a lot of reasons, but the reason that Elizabeth calls her blessed is found in the previous verse before she sings a song. And she says, Mary, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. That's why Mary is blessed. She believed that God would do what he said. Before Mary utters a single note of praise to God, she's already worshiped God in her heart. She believes. Why? Because the posture of your heart prepares your mouth to praise. 
What's going on inside your heart is going to prime the pump of the praise that's about to be coming out of your mouth when you sing to God. And here's what she does. She bursts forth in a song of praise to her God. Here's what I see about worship in this. As we learn to worship in the waiting of Christ's return, worship starts with believing. You have to believe. The only way that we come to Christ as our Lord and Savior is that we believe that he is the Son of God who rose again on the third day and that he now sits at the right hand of the Father. We believe in our hearts that he is Savior and Lord and he becomes that in us. That's how we believe. Worship starts with believing. Believing in the one true God and then what? Believing he's going to do whatever his word says he's going to do. And we worship God for that. Believing that when God comes into your life, He's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do in your life. Being a young woman in this day and age, Mary probably would have loved the stories of the Old Testament that she was told and began to learn. She probably loved the stories of the Old Testament, of the Old Testament women that worshiped God. Why? Because all of us like to have someone that we can identify with that looks like us, that have served God, that we can say, I want to follow in their footsteps. I want to follow them as they follow Christ. So she probably identified with people of faith like Sarah and Deborah and Hannah and Ruth and Abigail. As a matter of fact, her song sounded exactly like Hannah's song in the Old Testament when she found out that though she was barren, she was now pregnant with Samuel. And even the attributes of God that Mary sings about in her song sound very familiar to worshipers of old. His grace, his omnipotence, his holiness, his justice, his faithfulness. We still sing about them today. She probably read about them as songs that others had sung, echoes of songs of David and Miriam and Deborah and Hannah. Why? Because we worship from one generation to the next, praising the greatness of our God who is unchanging and worthy of that praise. He's unchanging. Because praise goes on and worship goes on from one generation to the next, we join in this chorus of song. It's multi-generational as our God is unchanging. And what an admonition and an exhortation to all of us as we see Mary burst forth in song. She's probably not much more older than 15 years old. And what we see in this in Mary's life that she didn't just sing a song out of a vacuum. But we see that she is saturated and steeped in the scriptures of God. Day and night she would have been in the word of God. These thoughts were filling her her mind and her heart. How do we know? Because that's what came out of her mouth as naturally as it did as she began to praise God. What goes in is what comes out, church. We can simply say it that way. You cannot believe and sing about the promises of God unless you know what the promises of God are. That's like trying to sing a song without lyrics up there. Well, I don't know what we're singing. My youngest daughter, Issy, she loves to sing songs around the house. And then maybe an hour or so later, one of us starts to sing the same song. And she likes to go, I I put that song in your head. Like, okay. I don't know why she likes that so much, but she does. (laughs) I made you sing that song. I made you start singing that song. I put that in your head. Can I tell you something? That the enemy wants to put songs in your head and they're lyrical lies. (laughs) I put that song in your head. Keep on singing it. Well, not for me, God. I don't think you'll come through for me. You'll say, where did that song come from? Well, the enemy of your soul wants to put songs in your head so that you sing songs of praise to his plan for your life. 
We can't blame it all on the enemy, though, because that's what we like to do. Us devil doing this, devil's doing this. No, you, you pretty much helped him. You're pretty much helping him out right now. We help him out. And here's what I mean by this. When it comes to the songs of praise, let me tell you how we help him out. Some of us, because what we put in us is what comes out of us in our songs of praise, some of us could sing songs with lyrics from movie lines from the 1970s to the 2020s. Some of us could sing songs with lyrics about sports stats for the last 50 years. Well, he hit 352 in 1985. Just making it up. I don't know. Some of us could sing songs with every lyric of every Beyonce song or every Taylor Swift song or every rap song known to man from Tone Loke to Tupac. I'm dating myself. But here's the reality. How many of us can sing songs that come to our mind straight from the Word of God, the Bible, the promises of God? They're there for us to be able to praise God for them. Is there ever a time that the first thing that comes to your heart, comes to your mind, that comes out of your mouth in a song of praise is the word of God? Here's something else we see about worship. Worship is not just believing. Worship doesn't just start with believing. Worship is full of God's word. It's not just a song. It's full of the word of God. That's why it matters what we sing. We care about the fact that the songs that we sing here are scripturally accurate, biblically accurate, but also why we should strive to spend time in the word of God so we'll know the difference. Because what we meditate on is what we will most often talk about. As worshipers, as singers, what we meditate and memorize is what most likely will come out when we begin to sing to God. When it comes to worship, what fills our hearts is what fills and overflows out of our mouths. That's why Luke 6.45 says, for the mouth speaks with what the heart is full of. Whatever my heart's full of. Worship starts with believing. Worship is full of God's word. And then let me say this thirdly. It's, uh, if it isn't obvious, let me state the obvious. Worship is singing. Worshipers sing. Mary sings. She could have said the Magnificat. She could have narrated it. She could have recited it. But she sang. Why? Because worshipers sing. Well, pastor, I don't sing very well. It doesn't matter. The day you gave your life to Jesus, you became a singer. Not Celine Dion, but a singer. I can't explain all that happens when you sing to God, but I know God created us to be singing people. I know God commands us to sing to him. I know Christians are singers. Not all singers are Christians, but all Christians are supposed to be singers as it is the primary way that we worship and praise God. The Bible contains over 400 references to singing to God, 50 direct commands to sing to the Lord. The longest book of the Bible is the book of Psalms, which is a book of songs to be sung, to worship to God. And they explore and cover the gamut of emotions. Well, I'm not feeling so good right now. Well, then sing a lamentation to the Lord. Well, I'm feeling great right now. Then rejoice in God, your Savior, right now. It goes across the spectrum. He's given us every song to sing. If we could say one thing is that the life of a Christian should be a musical. I mean, it literally should. And what changes the feeling and the emotion of a moment more than in a movie or whatever, than somebody just breaking out in song all of a sudden? Well, that's kind of weird. Doesn't it though? You go to a movie and you're like, oh, well, I wasn't expecting them to start singing right there. 
kind of changes the whole feel, the whole emotion, just like it does for you. That we would sing to God. Even in the New Testament, twice it says to sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to one another when we meet. It is important because we are what we sing. The Bible tells us we are singing creatures made to sing songs about the one who created us. You ever wonder why sometimes it's so difficult to sing in church? But yet you get in your car and polo G's on. That happens in my car sometimes with my youngest son. I'm like, what are we listening to? And you, you know every lyric to that. But in here it's like, why? Why is it so hard? Because the enemy knows what's going to happen when you begin to sing the praise that God deserves. And your soul begins to humbly come before a holy God and worship him because he's worth it. So to highlight, let's walk through the beautiful hymn of praise just a little bit more before we go today. I believe we can see three distinct sections in this praise hymn. First, there's Mary's expression of what she feels in her heart. When you begin to worship and praise God, it should be what you feel in your heart. Worship is love responding to love. God has loved us so much that now because of his great love for us, out of the fact that I love him for doing what he has done for me, I worship him because he's worthy of that. Worship is love responding to love. Mary's emotion in her heart at this point is joy. She's overjoyed that the God of the universe saw her in her lowly place and called her to this place. That's what her second thing we see is she mentions what God has done specifically for her. And yes, our faith is a corporate faith, but it happened to us individually. God saved you individually. So there's something that happened in your life that you can praise God for, that he did for you, that he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that he set your feet upon a rock, that he's given you a purpose and a plan to glorify his name. He did that for you because he saw you just like Mary in the lowliness of your estate. He did great things for you, and he's given you a during reputation of blessedness, of belonging to him and then third she spends most of the time describing who God is in general which is if we run out of things to say let's just begin to talk about who God is in general that he's holy that he's mighty that he's forgiving that he's gracious that he's omnipotent that he's all-knowing that he's sovereign and on and on and on we begin to praise God for who he is This song starts with Mary being overwhelmed with the fact that God has seen her, that he's looked and seen her in her marginalized, oppressed situation that she would have been in in this context. Not even allowed to freely worship God in the temple like other people would have been. And now she's carrying the Son of God in her womb. She's overwhelmed. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's like the the depth of her inner beings and her emotions. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's rejoicing in the favor that God is giving her, that he saved her. I love that. She's rejoicing in the favor of God and being her Savior. Have you ever rejoiced in that? 
that he sees her as insignificant as she is, and he elevates her to a place of unparalleled favor and blessing. Can I tell you, no matter how insignificant you feel or unseen you might be filled in this world by other people, God sees you. And if you will rejoice in the God of your Savior, your Savior God, he will lift you to unparalleled favor and blessedness as a co-heir in Christ, as a son or daughter of the King Most High. That's unbelievable. And yet it's true. I love how Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon puts it. I am sure, dear friends, the remembrance that there is a Savior and that this Savior is yours must make you sing. And if you set it side by side with the thought that you were once sinful, unclean, vile, hateful, and an enemy to God then your notes will take yet a loftier flight and mount to the third heavens to teach the golden harps the praise of God. And I love his language. That if you would just recognize who you were before Jesus, God met you, your Savior, and you rejoice in the fact that despite the fact that you were sinful and lowly and forgotten by everybody else, he saw you and called you out of the depths of your darkness and saved your life and has given you an abundant life now and an eternal life with him forever. If you could just see that and know that, then you'd rejoice in God, your Savior. That's what Mary did. She simply sees her own experience as an example of the way God is. That he condescends to Mary's lowliness and does a great thing for her. He makes her the mother of God. And it's such a singular and unimaginable blessing that all generations from that time on have acknowledged Mary's blessedness. Scripturally, it actually says that's going to happen. Everybody's going to call you blessed from now on. And not because she's to be worshipped or venerated in an idolatrous way, but because she is the model and the representative of what it's like to experience the grace and the mercy of God in the lowliest of estates, in the lowliest of circumstances, in the most marginalized and forgotten places. God sees you. Verse 49 For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. We mentioned the great things that God's done for her. And then Mary makes this general statement that God's name is holy. That is, here's what she's saying, God's nature, his essence, is holiness. He's completely free from sin. His ways are not our ways. He is separate from and exalted as the creator who is far above the creature. All his attributes are perfect and they all unite into a perfect harmony called holiness. But what Mary stresses in this way is that all of this holiness expresses itself in an unimaginable way of coming to the unholy and being close to us. And here words are a warning to us to not make the common mistake that because God is great, that he is partial to great people. To not make the common mistake that because God is exalted, that he favors what is exalted in this world. Because he doesn't. Actually, just the opposite is true. God's holiness has expressed itself and will express itself by exalting the humble and humbling the proud. He is partial to the lowly of heart, not the powerful prestigious and puffed up what fills mary's heart with joy is that god loves to take up the case of the underdog man i love that everybody loves the underdog unless they play in your team and then you don't like them 
loves to take up the smallest, the least. That's what I'm saying. We always think about the biggest and the greatest cities and the biggest and the greatest people. And God says, well, I'll just go to Bethlehem, the smallest and the lowliest. Well, I'll just use a baby, the smallest, smallest and the lowliest. Well, I'll just use David. Well, I'll just, on every story. And here's why I say it's so hard for us to believe. We act like we still don't believe. We still think it's the biggest and the best. The most powerful and the most popular. Here's one of those things that we say we believe, but do we really? See, we kind of like the idea of being powerful and rich. Let me just give it a try. But it's clear from Mary's words and from the whole of the Bible that God is not partial to the rich, not partial to the powerful, not partial to the proud. He's near to the lowly and the humble. How can God be partial to things in this world that are more often than not substitutes for God instead of things that point to God? Vast numbers of people have perished because they were enamored by pride, power, and wealth. And here we find another truth about worship. Worship values and exalts God. See, the world does everything to worship and value and exalt everything but God. And God says, no, to worship me, you're going to value and exalt God and the things that God values and exalts. There's a word of warning and of salvation here because it's to look at what God is really like. He is not the least impressed by any of our pride, our power, or our opulence. He's not the least impressed with that. He has mercy on those who fear him, who humble themselves, and turn from their ego-boosting accumulation of wealth to the lowliness of self-denial for the sake of others. This is the way God is. This is how his holiness expresses itself. This should make perfect sense that the great and holy God would magnify his greatness not by coming with a rod of iron and having a, a, this sort of authoritarian type rulership, but by blessing the lowly who admire his greatness and by humbling the haughty who resent his greatness. Luke aims at our hearts with these texts. The believers have to take God at his word and be amazed as I am amazed, and you should be amazed, at God's involvement in the daily affairs of our lives. Does that amaze you? That he, that he is and that he cares? That God owes us nothing, but for those of us who have trusted Christ, we owe him everything? God does what he says, and he has said so much on the behalf of the believer in his word. The key is for us to expect this great reversal to take place. That's our worshiping in the waiting, that not everything has happened fully as it will when Christ returns. But then one day, the great reversal is going to take place, and every tear is going to be wiped away. There's going to be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, none of that. And all of this will have complete deliverance for us. So whatever our lot is in this sinful fallen world now, those who fear God and put their trust in him can expect vindication when God does all that he's promised in his word he's going to do. Yeah, that's good news. I love how in this hymn of praise, there's a theology of status, that social standing is not how much money is in your bank account or the address that you live at or who your parents might be or what jobs you might hold. Because we tend to view the rich and the famous and the popular as blessed, even in the church. Yet what makes this text very clear is that God honors the humble and the poor. He sees them while 
most people often ignore them. This has a lot to say about the value of every person that is stamped with the image of God on this planet. What matters to God is not where you live or how much money or education you have, but what is in your heart. Those who know God and his grace can echo Mary's song. We can sing this song. Not that we have the honor of giving birth to the Savior of the world, but we do have the blessing of becoming one of his children. The promises of God that he makes to his humble children revealed by Mary in this hymn of praise are promises that we all share in if we belong to Jesus. No deed is more powerful or heroic than the rescuing of humanity from sin. No act is more gracious than God's extension of mercy through his powerful, faithful, compassionate hand. The message of this text involves a call to rejoice that God is active and involved in the affairs of your life. And finally, let us note what causes Mary to be grateful. Because in a world and in a culture where we expect so much as a matter of personal or human rights, we develop an attitude that everything is kind of owed to us. Well, you owe me that. You should have done that. How can we give or serve or how much honor there is in doing so is not really high on our priority list. We even risk treating God more as if he were a friend or a neighbor to be joked with than an almighty, holy creator to be worshipped. Mary understands the difference and recognizes the honor given to her to have God actively involved in her life. The sense of privilege, lacking any hint of merit on her part, spills over into a waterfall of praise and gratitude in this song. Praise that's refreshing for its passion and its sense of wonder. And I hope and pray that we'll be worshipers like that, deserving nothing, but we've been given everything by a God that's good to us, that sees us. So, The announcement of Christmas results in praise because that's why Christmas exists. Christmas exists because God is making worshipers of God by the power of his Holy Spirit through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Worshipers is what he's making. Like Mary, worshiping because we believe in the Son of God, worshiping because we believe the promises of God's Word, and we've meditated on them, and we've hidden them in our hearts, and we're able to sing them out of our mouths. Worship that values and exalts God above every other thing, and worshipers that sing hymns of praise to our merciful, holy, heavenly Father, whether we can sing or not. It doesn't matter how talented you are, but you're called to sing. And even as we close, every service that we do with a song, I think it's appropriate because worshipers should kind of go out singing into the world to be the worshipers that God's called us to be. I heard that years ago from a worship leader. Let's just go out rejoicing with a song, a song of praise unto God as we go and serve him in the world that needs to see who Jesus is through your life. Let me encourage you today as worshipers, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, first of all, to sing. You haven't heard me sing. That's fine. I don't need to. God wants to. Sing. And let that worship well up within you because you believe God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And worship because you believe the word of God and it's welling up inside. You know some of those scriptures that I know the most come from songs? I, you know, I could, I could sing from Handel's Messiah and give you a lot of songs, scriptures from Isaiah. We memorize things this way. So I'm going to sing God's word today. 
and I'm going to exalt and value God in what God values. We're going to be a worshiping church because God is still looking for more worshipers. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the message of Christmas, that you came to us, stooped down low. You saw us in our broken and lowly places, and you came to save us. And I don't know where you are today, but I know this, that if you belong to Jesus, then he's worthy of every song that we could sing that exalts and values him. Even as we sing about his promises in just a moment, that it takes a while for these things to come to pass in our life, but we're going to worship in the waiting. We're going to worship from something being a seed to a full-grown oak tree or sequoia, as it says in this song. We're going to worship in the time and in the waiting because he's worthy of it. And I thank you, God, that you come to us and you meet us in these places as we sing songs to your name. Let me encourage you, church, to sing and let God do something in your heart and mind that you cannot do any other way except by praising God with your mouth. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never experienced him this way, then maybe today you come to the place where you recognize that you need him as Savior, that you ask for him to forgive you of your sin, repent of your old life, turn into a new life, and begin to walk with him. And you begin to worship him because he sees you. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. I don't, but God does. You haven't seen what I've been through. I haven't, but God has. He sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. And he has a purpose and a plan for your life, no matter what you may think, no matter what lie the enemy's trying to get you to see. I want you to sing the song of freedom this morning and let God save you because he's come to do so. Jesus, would you continue to save worshipers? Make more worshipers in this life, in this place, in this church for the glory of your name. Thank you for listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocusChurch. Church.